You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. Now, a number of you were around City Church three years ago, and three years ago, you all know it was the beginning of the summer of COVID, or at least the first summer of COVID, and we as a church were like, man, we need something to connect with our people, and so we put together these, these tote bags, kind of these goodie bags that we handed out to all of the members and regular attenders of the church. And some of you, sometimes I still see those tote bags around. It had a koozie in it that, say, that said, stay well and do good. And sometimes I see those koozies at your homes. And, um, and, and part of doing that made us realize that it's good for us as a church occasionally to have some artifacts like that, things that remind us of our life together as a community. And so this summer, as we're thinking about summer at City Church in Specifically, we're thinking about um, life on the road with Jesus. We're trying to come up with uh, some sort of artifact that we could provide to all of you. And we thought that since we're talking about a summer road trip, maybe a koozie wasn't the best idea. Um, but but we, we settled on something. We want to give that to you today. We'll have them available at the end of the church. What, what we uh, decided on was a keychain um, because you know, you need a keychain for your keys, your car keys, or if you're going on a summer rental, you need to uh, have that key as you go down to the beach. So we have these keychains for all of you, and it's, it's too small for you to see, so I'll tell you what it says on it. It says, Jesus, take the wheel, 2023. And so it's just a little, uh, a little something to remind you of City Church and to remind you of this, this truth, right? It's, it's somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but it's true that um, the life of faith is saying to Jesus, take the wheel. You're in control of my life. So we'll have these available at the end of the service after the benediction, so make sure you grab one or two on your way out and uh, use it proudly this summer. So my name is Eric Bonkowski. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and it's fair to say that my entire life has been, in some form or another, a journey towards acceptance. And I would imagine your life is similar. I was trying to think if, if I had an example of a story of um, seeking acceptance through a road trip, and I actually came up with one. This was my freshman year of college, and um, in January, we had a little break in between semesters, and a group of us took a, a ski trip up to Vermont, and I didn't have a car at the time, and so I was uh, uh, at the mercy of a, of a friend, an upperclassman, to drive me on this ski trip, so we drove up to Vermont and uh, had a good week skiing and, and hanging out and having fun together, and then it came time for the ride home, and for some reason, I, the, the only car that was available for me to ride home in was a two-door Honda Prelude, which is a, a tiny car, and I was in the back seat um, and uh, w- with another friend who was also six feet or taller, and we sort of had to fold ourselves up like jackknives just to get into the back seat of this Honda Prelude, and we couldn't really move. I mean, there was no, like we, you know, once you were in there and the seat was pulled back, you were kind of stuck there for the, the six or seven hour trip back to campus, and that in and of itself would have been okay. I was willing to endure that, 
um, to get back home and to, you know, be accepted by the upperclassman who was kind enough to drive us. But the, the problem was that after a week in Vermont, um, in snow and slush and ice, what had happened is that all this snow and ice had uh, gotten stuck to the undercarriage of the car, and it had frozen in place, and it was extremely cold. I remember, I don't, I don't know that Honda Preludes have uh, any heating or cooling for the back seat because they don't really expect anyone to be in the back seat, but there I was in the back seat, wedged into place. It was freezing in the car, and my feet were stuck in place under the seat, basically on top of an ice block, and I just remember my feet being frozen the whole time. But did I complain? Absolutely not, because I wanted to be accepted by uh, the people who were driving me. I I seriously thought I was going to have a hypothermia or frostbite. They were going to have to snip my toes off when I when we got back to campus. But I never said a word because I was I was too proud and I I didn't want to cause a, a problem. I also didn't complain about the fact that I needed to go to the bathroom so bad that I could taste it. I didn't say anything the whole ride back to campus. It's kind of a, a ridiculous story, right? But it proves the point of how our lives are a journey towards acceptance and how it leads us to do often foolish things. I mean, the rest of my life has been a similar path towards acceptance, whether it was trying to wear the right clothes in high school or trying to learn the right language to talk about my life in college or trying to live by the right lifestyle aesthetic as an adult, trying to gain acceptance. What about your life? How has your life been a journey towards acceptance? Maybe it's acceptance from a parent that you've never really felt you've had. Maybe it's acceptance from a boss that you're constantly trying to please week in and week out. Maybe it's acceptance from a friend or a group of friends that if you act a certain way and talk a certain way, then you'll be in. Maybe it's even acceptance from a pastor or from a spiritual leader. Our lives are often a journey towards acceptance. I want to talk about this today by looking at a passage in the book of Luke. So if you have uh, your Bible with you, open to Luke chapter 12. These words are also printed in the worship guide, and you're welcome to follow along there. And we'll see that this struggle for acceptance is not a new phenomenon. It's an old problem, and Jesus knew all about it, too. So I'm going to read Luke 12, verses 1 through 12. This is God's word that he's given to us because he loves us. Here's what it says. In the, ne- in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he, Jesus, began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed you, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. 
But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious Father, we want today to encounter your son Jesus Christ in his love and mercy and truth and grace. We know that the clearest path for us to have an encounter with Jesus Christ is through your word. So would you make this word alive for us today? Help us to be honest with ourselves and to hear your honest truth spoken to us. We ask this through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So today I want to talk about life on the road to acceptance. You know, the the last several weeks we've been talking about this theme of being on the road with Jesus and how he leads us to the true form of what we most want. The last two weeks Harrison has talked about how um, we want to live in freedom, how that true freedom is found in Jesus, how we want to live with authenticity, and how that true authenticity is found in Jesus. And today we're going to do the same thing around acceptance, how we can find true acceptance through Jesus. But before we get there, we need to start by talking about where we look for acceptance. And that's what this passage does, these three separate vignettes that Jesus uh, uses and Luke uses to show us the places that we look for acceptance. The first place that we look for acceptance is by living a double life. Look again at verse 1. Jesus, when he begins speaking, says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And last week, at the end of chapter 11, Jesus introduced this concept of hypocrisy. And he used it there to chastise the religious authorities and leaders, the Pharisees of the day. He said, you're living a double life. You're wearing a mask. You're not being true. And here in chapter 12, Jesus takes the same idea, but he's sharing it with his own disciples, with his followers, with his friends. And he's saying, watch out for hypocrisy. Be aware of mask wearing. Look out for where you are living a double life, where you're saying one thing and doing another thing, where you're conforming your behavior in order to find acceptance. And to do this, he says, beware the leaven. That's kind of a strange phrase. We don't talk that much about leaven, unless you're like me and you're really into baking, right? Leaven is like yeast. It's what causes bread to rise. And Jesus is saying, beware the leaven. Why is he saying that? Because in baking, there's always a revealing. By the way, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I I am thinking about making aprons that say, beware the leaven. Think, I think that would be good. But, but the, the reason leaven is important is because there's always a revealing, right? There's this moment when I'm baking sourdough bread and I, I use essentially a Dutch oven or a cloche and I stick it in the oven. It has a lid on it, a bell-shaped lid. And for the thir- first 30 minutes while it's cooking, that lid is on top of the bread. And then there comes the moment where I open the oven door and I lift off the lid. 
And there's a great revealing. Has the leaven worked? Has the bread risen? Or was the the leaven not mature enough? Was it not developed? And will the bread be a failure? Jesus is using that illustration about our lives. He is saying there will be a revealing. Who you are will be revealed one day. So don't live a double life. Where are you living a double life? in order to be accepted? Where are you saying one thing, but doing another? And this can happen for us both religiously or irreligiously, can't it? Where are the places that, um, it, 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 where you're living in such a way that if someone found out here on Sunday afternoon or in your small group, you would be revealed? Or conversely, where are the ways that you're putting on a mask of spirituality? Where you're playing the part of a follower of Jesus, but really your life is saying, I don't want anything to do with him. I think this idea of living a double life and of living a double life, especially to find acceptance, is, uh, is piercingly indicated by verse 3. Look at that again. Cuts me to the quick. It says, therefore, whatever you've said in the dark shall be heard in the light. What you've whispered in private shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Think about your last week. How would you feel if the things that you said or the things that you texted were proclaimed publicly? What sort of level of shame would you feel if everyone saw the way that you're living a double life. So, where do we look for acceptance? First, by living a double life. Second, and this is the next paragraph in Luke 12, is we look for acceptance by living as people pleasers, don't we? Look uh, with me at verse four. It says, I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But fear him who has authority And by that, Jesus means God. Fear God. Don't fear people. That's essentially what he's saying. Now, in the original context here in Luke 12, the stakes were pretty high. Jesus was saying uh, to people who rightly feared martyrdom. And even in that situation where they could be punished, where they could be imprisoned, where they could even be killed for their beliefs, he's saying, don't fear them. Because their rejection is only temporary. Really, you should fear God. Now, we, at least most of us, don't live in that context where we fear martyrdom, and yet, we fear people all the time. It's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. We might not use the language of fearing people, but we do use the language that I used just a second ago, people-pleasing. And what is people-pleasing if not fear of people Almost without flinching, we we throw that phrase around. Oh, I'm just a people pleaser. What if we thought of it every time we were about to say that word, I'm just afraid of people. And what they would think of me. And whether or not they will accept me. You see, people pleasing is a brazen tell of all the places that we're searching for acceptance from people, not God. Ed Welch is a counselor and writer and he has a book called When People Are Big and God is Small. 
And you know, there are some books where you really need to, you, where you only really need to read the first chapter to understand what the whole book's about. This is one of those books where you only really need the title. When people are big and God is small. And how many of us hear that and we're like, oh yeah, that's me. I know that's how I felt when I read that book. He says in that book, he says this, perhaps the most common reason we are controlled by other people, they can reject, ridicule, or despise us. You hear that? They can reject us. That's the opposite of being accepted. That's why we're controlled by other people. They can reject us. They don't invite us to the party. They ignore us. They don't like us. They aren't pleased with us. They withhold the repentance, love, or significance we want from them. As a result, we feel worthless. You see, because we're so desperate to be accepted, because the journey of our lives is a journey towards acceptance, we become people pleasers. And that that feeling or that fear of that feeling of rejection causes us to do so many things that we know we ought not do in order to find some modicum of acceptance from other people. Elsewhere in that book, he says that people are our favorite idol. People are our favorite idol. And what does an idol do? Well, it, it offers you what you think you need I need that. And it offers that. People offer that to you. Oh, you'll be accepted. You'll be in. You'll be comfortable. You'll be taken care of. But you know what an idol does in the long run? It enslaves. It offers this glittering picture of all that you think you want. And in the end, it enslaves you. People pleasing will do the same thing as we seek our acceptance there. And I want to say that I think the time in life where this is most pronounced, this people-pleasing particularly, where it's most pronounced is adolescence. It's a time where we feel it most intensely. And it can lead a lot of us, and it has led a lot of you, to take drastic measures so that you will be accepted. I was thinking this week of a friend that I knew many years ago. It's actually a, a, a friend of my wife, Sarah. And she grew up and her dad used to call her fatso all the time. And it led her to the drastic measure of, um, of plastic surgery at a young age so that she would be accepted. What drastic measures have you taken that have crystallized into hardened habits of life because you've been desperate to be accepted by other people? It's a form of people-pleasing. But friends, Jesus is telling us, do not fear people. Fear God. People are an idol that will enslave you, and God will set you free. The third place that we look for acceptance is by denying Jesus. This is the final paragraph here. It's the final way that we seek acceptance on our journey of life. Verse 9, Jesus says, the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. 
denying Jesus is another roundabout way that we seek acceptance from other people because we think that if we confess Jesus, if we admit Jesus, then they will reject us. We won't be accepted. What does denial of Jesus look like? It can take many different forms. I've shared before from the pulpit how I live denying Jesus on my recreational volleyball team. It literally took them years to figure out that I was a pastor. That was a form of denying Jesus, that I was afraid or I was ashamed to say that I follow Jesus. And in fact, I try to help other people to follow Jesus. And I live denying Jesus to you as well. You know, for some of you, it has literally taken years for you to know that I am a failure, that I am weak, that I am wrapped up in sin. Why? Because I don't want you to think of me that way. And in a roundabout way, that is a denial of Jesus. Because I am more concerned about projecting an image to you of who I am and the strength that I have and the the accomplishments of my life than I am concerned with presenting Jesus to you, which happens if I am weak and broken and sinful. What about you? Where are you denying Jesus? Probably not going out to the streets and saying, I deny Jesus, but with your life, with the way you live every day, with your conversation, that you are denying Jesus. Are you afraid to tell your neighbor that you go to church on Sunday afternoons? I've got, I've got something I've got to go to. Or on Wednesday nights when you meet with your city group and you're af- afraid to tell coworkers what you're doing that night? Or, or maybe the flip side, are you denying Jesus but not telling your city group that you're lonely and afraid? You see, the denial there is that you don't really need Jesus. Even the people who are gathered around you to love you and to help you rest in Jesus, you're denying your need for Him. You're afraid to make yourself look weak. That's a denial of Jesus and His power and His acceptance. Before we move on from this last paragraph, I want to say just a word about verse 10 because it can be confusing. Jesus introduces this idea of uh, what he calls uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is concerning to us. And and through the years, people have asked me questions about that. What is that? Maybe because they don't understand it. Maybe uh, and or they're afraid that maybe they're committing it. And they don't want that. You see, uh, Jesus goes on to say that this is a sin that cannot be forgiven. And we have kind of grown up that every sin, any sin can be forgiven. What's going on with blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? What's this special category of sin? How I want you to understand that, what I think the right understanding of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, it's the persistent denial of the work of God in your life. It's not uh, the, the fleeting words that may pass across your lips at one point. It is the settled disposition of a heart that is hardened against God. So it's kind of the difference between Judas and Peter, right? Judas is a betrayer of Jesus, never repents. Peter is a denier of Jesus, who later in tears 
admits his failure and returns. That's the difference between uh, uh, sort of this passing denial and the settled blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I also want to say to you, and, and uh, again, the counsel that I've given to people before, sometimes they've come in to talk to me and they've said, Eric, what does this mean? I'm afraid that uh, I, this is true of me, it's describing me. One of the greatest signs that you're not blaspheming, blaspheming the Holy Spirit is that you're concerned about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Because you would be calloused and hardened to that fact. The reason it's so important is that it's, it's saying about the one person of the Trinity, the triune God, the one person who can take dead hearts and make them alive, it's saying, I don't believe that. That's garbage. That's why it's so problematic. It is the Holy Spirit who turns us from death to life. All right, so I've taken a lot of time and I've explained to us uh, the places that we look for acceptance. Well, where do we find acceptance? The answer is obvious, right? We're in a church. You, you know the answer in some ways. The answer is that we find true acceptance in Jesus Christ. We find it in God. We find acceptance by putting our faith in Christ, in Him alone. We see this in the passage in verse 9. Jesus says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. That's the statement of faith. Acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, and He will acknowledge you. You see, Jesus, in His incarnation, in His life, He knew all about our search our journey towards acceptance. He knew the old, old story of how Adam and Eve in the garden rebelled against God and became alienated from Him. The God who made them, the God who loved them, they turned their back on Him and they were rejected. And all of life, all of human life from that point forward became this journey of acceptance. And Jesus heard the stories and He saw the tears of people who longed to be made right. He saw as he walked in his ministry and he saw the pain written on faces. He saw all the ways that people were looking for acceptance in different ways. He saw the ways that they were denying the true God. He saw the ways that they were living their lives as people pleasers. He saw the ways that they were living a double life. And then he said to them, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Come to me. And what it is you've been looking for your whole life long, you'll find it. Acknowledge me. You want to be accepted? You want acceptance? Accept me. We can put it that simply. What is faith? Faith is accepting your acceptance accepting that you are accepted. This is a quote uh, from a famous sermon by a guy named Paul Tillich that I'm not supposed to reference in a PCA church. But the thing about it is he's right, and the idea didn't originate with Paul Tillich because he was borrowing it from Martin Luther, who got it from St. Augustine, who got it from Paul, who got it from Jesus. Faith is accepting, it is believing that you have been accepted by the God who made you and loved you and sent Jesus to die for you. Let me read kind of an extended quote from another theologian who's a little more respected, at least in our circles. His name is Richard Lovelace. 
And in his book, Dynamics of the Spiritual Renewal, he says this, Few know enough to start each day with a thoroughgoing stand upon Luther's platform. You are accepted. Looking outward in faith and claiming the holy alien righteousness of Christ as the only ground for acceptance, relaxing in that quality of trust which will produce increasing sanctification as faith is active in love and gratitude. In order for a pure and lasting work of spiritual renewal to take place in the church, multitudes within it must be led to build their lives on this foundation. This means that they must be conducted into the light of a fully conscious awareness of God's holiness, the depth of their sin, and the sufficiency of the atoning work of Christ for their acceptance with God. And here's the key part. After all that theological mumbo-jumbo, here's what he says. Not just at the outset of their Christian lives, but in every succeeding day. Every day. You must wake up and say, I accept that I am accepted. Not because of what I've done, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is mine through faith. That is the gospel. And you forget it every day, and I forget it every day, and we go on living according to these false paths of acceptance. Friends, give it up and accept that you've been accepted. Acknowledge that the Son of Man has acknowledged you. That is the hope of the gospel. Let me end by reinforcing this same point in three other ways that are present in this passage. Other ways of saying this fact that you are accepted by God. How does Jesus tell us in this passage? What hope does he give us? What hope do I have for you? You are not forgotten. You are not forgotten. And you'll never be forgotten by the God who sent Jesus to die for you. Jesus is explaining this and he says, verse six, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them, not one of them is forgotten before God. And so many of us believe that we have been forgotten by God. You have not been forgotten. You know, we, we try to use your name if we know it when you come forward for communion. Why? Because your name matters and you haven't been forgotten by us. We try to remember the dates that are important to you. When someone you love died. When something really hard in your life happened, we keep each other's calendar. Why? To tell you, you're not forgotten. If we haven't seen you in a while and you come back to worship and we, we come up to you and you say, man, it's good to see you. Not to shame you, but to remind you that you are not forgotten by God. You're not forgotten. The second is you are valued. And it's kind of part and parcel with this same idea. You're not forgotten by God. Jesus goes on in verse 7. He says, Why, even the, ha- the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you are of more value than sparrows. This life will beat you down, kick you to the curb, make you feel like no one and nothing values you. And God says to you this afternoon, 
You are valued. You are valued. You're of more value than the sparrows. And lastly, the message of Jesus in this passage, the message of Jesus to you today is you are loved. You're not forgotten. You are valued and you are loved. You know, this middle paragraph, it's full of fear language. Jesus talks about, well, here's the person you should fear. Fear him who can cast you into hell. At the very end of this paragraph, he says, fear not. And what I want you to understand is that that's an expression, that's one of God's deepest expressions of love. And those times when we can honestly not be afraid are when we are secure in the love of God. Fear not is one of the most repeated uh, uh, imperatives throughout all of Scripture. Again and again and again, God is saying to his people, fear not, fear not, fear not, I am with you. Why? Because it's an expression of his love. Whatever your status is this afternoon, if you're married, if you're single, if you're divorced, if you're widowed, if you're a child, you are loved. Whatever you have to offer to God or to the church, a lot, a little, a lot less than you used to have to offer, God is saying to you, you are loved. Fear not. I am with you. I am with you. I have called you by name. As a pastor, the longer I do this, the more I think that the heart of my work is telling people this. All the lonely people, all the hurt people, all the broken people who come into my office looking for acceptance, what they need to hear is you are not forgotten. You are valued and you are loved. Let us live in light of that truth today. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, I thank you for the truth of your gospel and how it is good news for weary and weak women and men like me and like these friends gathered here. Help us today to find our true acceptance, the acceptance that our souls are craving for, that we've been searching for in so many places. Help us to find it in Christ, in his, in his finished work for us. And let us do it all again tomorrow. Build our lives on the foundation of the alien righteousness of Jesus Christ, remembering that we're not forgotten, that we are valued, and that we are loved. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.